Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Greetings and welcome to Animal Instinct here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Celia Kutcher. I'm also known as the Food Healer. And today's guest is going to be therapy and service dog trainer and author, Lisa J. Edwards. We're going to talk all about her book called Please Don't Bite the Baby and Please Don't Chase the Dog. Lisa, are you there? Lisa, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? I can. Are you okay on that side? Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay, great. So thank you for taking the time to come on the show and talk to us all about your book. I think this is a really, really smart idea. Um, I'm kind of surprised no one's done it sooner, to be honest with you. But I want to just get started and just jump in and just talk all about it, if that's okay with you. That's great, yeah. Cool. So, as many people don't know, May 17th to 23rd is actually National Bite Prevention Week. About how many people get bitten by dogs yearly in the United States? The um, Center for Disease Control estimates four and a half million bites annually in the U.S. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God, I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, big number. And how many dogs are there in the U.S.? Roughly between 70 and 80 million. Okay. And so who gets bitten the most? The, you know, the current um, uh, evidence tells us that it's kids, and they are, uh, of those kids, about half of those who get bit are boys, and I mean no disrespect. I have a son myself, so mm -hmm. I kind of know why. Um, some newer estimates also include seniors in the risk group, okay. but that's kind of a newer thing going on there. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, um, why are the why are people getting bitten? Um, well, you know, <clears throat> kids. Well, sort of the answer to that is it kind of sounds like a, a smart alecky answer, but mm -hmm. it really isn't. Mm -hmm. Kids get bit because they're not adults. Okay. And sort of the reason for that are multiple reasons. They don't move like adults. They don't sound like adults. They don't smell like adults. Mm -hmm. A lot of dogs haven't been socialized to kids of varying ages. Yeah. Um, kids don't have the same experiences with dogs that adults do, so they don't know, ooh, I probably shouldn't approach that dog. He's giving me the stink eye sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't have the same reaction times. And, yeah, let's face it, kids don't always follow the rules the way we'd like them to. And kids are notorious for wanting to get up in the dog's face. They want to hug the dog. They oh, want to yeah. just touch the dog everywhere. And many dogs <laughs> are like, okay, that is just too much. Please stop. I, I've got the scar to prove it. I did this with a really angry corgi when I was about five. So wow, I totally yeah. know exactly what you're talking about. Right, right. <laughs> And, it, and it's always just in, well-intentioned. You know, yeah. they just love the dog to pieces, and the dog is trying desperately to say, somebody please stop this, yeah. and we miss that. And 
bad things happen. And I mean, for me, like what happened, which I think it's it's pretty pertinent to the conversation because I think it happens often. I mean, I remember it clearly, clearly as day, and it was a friend's dog, and the dog didn't like kids. And we grew up in a big animal household, so I decided at five that, you know, no, I'm the dog whisperer, and you know, all animals right. love me, and went over to the dog who stood there and looked at me, and of course I went down for a hug, and he growled and snapped. So, I mean, you know. Right. It, all right. good intentions, however, you know, stupid move, frankly, on my part. You know? <laughs> right. And, and this goes back to my earlier point that the kids don't have the experience. You know, boy, yeah. oh boy, as an adult, if you've had that experience, you have learned your lesson. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, have. Um, because I think a lot of people, you know, we'll talk about this shortly, but I think a lot of people that have, like, you know, the house dog, it'll be like the couple, and then they get the dog. And the dog's really quiet and really, you know, a great dog. And then they have a baby. And a lot of people just assume that they can just, you know, like the dog's going to totally understand this and be like, yay, another family member. Right. Uh, you right. know, and so I think that causes an awful lot of problems. And this is it why. It causes a tremendous amount, you know. And what I even say in the book is just because your dog loves you doesn't mean your dog will love your child and. Even if your dog does love your child, it doesn't mean that your dog will appreciate all the things that kids are going to try to do to the dog. That's so true. That's so true. I mean, honestly, I should have been chewed to pieces now that I think about it. I mean, things like, you know, like manicures and, you know, just like playing house with the dog or playing dress up with this poor Vishla that we had who really tolerated way too much from me. Right. And, you know, and if you, you know, if you look at so many pictures of kids with dogs online, Facebook, the rest of it, if, if you know what you're looking for, you can see the, the, the little bubble over the dog's head should read something like, please, somebody get this kid off of me. I love him, but please make yeah. it stop. Yeah. And Definitely. they're just being really tolerant. And at some point they say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes they're just not tolerant, like the corgi who said, you know what, I'm not even going to wait here. I'm just going to Exactly. This now. It's like, I don't even want to deal with this, you know? Right, right. No, I think that's a really good point. And I think that, um, you know, animal owners, there's this whole thing that you get with pe- a lot of people where... You know, oh, no, they're a really good dog, and they'll always be a really good dog, and that sort of thing. And then you bring in this little tiny bundle that, like, shrieks and screams and, you know, and smells funny, and it's this little thing, and everyone runs to it when it freaks out. And so the dogs have a lot of curiosity towards this as well. Right. Well, you know, initially they think it's quite interesting, and it does make poop, and for a lot of dogs that's just great. Um, And then it starts crawling, and then the baby has pincers that Mm -hmm. are coming after the dog, and things change. You know, usually I will get the call somewhere in that 15 to 18-month range when the kids start locomoting around the house, Mm -hmm. and the dog is a great thing to chase. Yeah, really. And I just, I want to clarify that this is not a show about like anti-kids or like anti-kids no, and pets. Not at all, because, you know, the, I, I have a son. My job is to make sure that he doesn't get bitten by my dogs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, dog at this point, it was dogs when he first came home. But, you know, it was, there's, there's, there's three involved in this. You know, usually there's, you know, people say there's two to tango. Mm-hmm. Well, in this, there's three of us. There's the dog, the child, and the parent. Mm-hmm. And as the parent, it's our job to make sure we keep our children safe from our dog and we keep our dog safe from our child. Because yeah. when we start to kind of 
you sort of peel away what went on in a, in a biting situation, we see that we've got a lot of fault to spread around. Mm-hmm. It's everybody. All of us are in on this. So all of us have to be in on this to make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah. And that means, you know, training the dog, managing the dog and child so that when they're together, you're right there as Mm -hmm. the parent or the caregiver, and then training the child how to pet the dog, how to not poke the dog in the eye, how to, you know, what to do. Yeah, that's, um, you know, one of the things I'm always talking about on this show is I worked at a vet clinic for four years, and there were so many cases of, like, you know, it was usually cat people because the kid didn't know about dogs, and so, you know, they were used Mm -hmm. to cats, and, you know, cats are kind of scary because of the claws and stuff. And, I mean, inevitably, it's always, like, the kid walks over to the dog and, like, punk right in the eye or, like, right in the butt. And it's, like, you know, the dog freaks out and the owner's kind of, like, all panicky because it's a dog and they're trying not to let the kid get bitten, you know. And it's this whole cycle that happens. Yes. And, it ha- I mean, it happened all the time. It was, like, a running joke at our place after a while, you know. It was, like, we wanted to put up big signs, like, don't poke the dog, you know. Right. So. Right. And, yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it is just... It's natural to want to touch the dog, grab the dog, hold the dog. They're so often so cute. And I personally live with the, you know, and I have no bias here, the cutest of the cute. I mean, there isn't a person who meets my dog that doesn't go, oh, my God, he Uh is so cute. And I have to tell them, he may be very cute, but he's a very dangerous little dog. So be careful. Yeah. And, you know, cute is not the measurement. No. that's of, a, of safety. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I kind of hate to ask you this question because I feel like so many breeds are demonized, but I think it's also really important. Is Are there certain breeds that tend to bite more than others? There's no good evidence on that, and mm-hmm. that's, you know, so whatever we have is anecdotal. Okay. So I just don't go there because what happens is either people panic because they say, oh, it's XYZ dog, beware, or mm-hmm. or they say, oh, it's PQR dog, I will be safe. And <laughs> reality, oh, wow. <laughs> it doesn't matter. A dog is a dog, yeah. and any dog can bite you. I mean, I'm looking at Pinball. He's 32 pounds. He's fluffy and fringy and has a smiley face Mm -hmm. and he has five bites on his record wow so you know he you would never look at this dog and say be careful Mm -hmm. that's a dangerous dog Mm -hmm. so it's not so much the dog as it is the personality and the situation makes sense and you can have the best dog in the world but the worst possible situation or you know what we call stacked triggers Mm mm-hmm so stressors stacked on one on top of the other. You know, we've all had that day where it's that last nerve goes, and we are like, whoa, did I just say that? Yeah. And in a dog's world, when they get to that last nerve, they don't say something. They do something. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is more about us learning as their guardians and their keepers how to read them, how to look at that dog and say, oh, you just gave that child the stink eye. Okay, mm-hmm. we are out of here. Or, wow, look at that. I got a head turn. I got a lip lick. I got flattened ears. We are, you are coming with me. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, big time. 
Big time. I mean, I had a Jack Russell. And, you know, terriers, terriers don't put up with a lot. They really don't. And I had 12 nieces and nephews, and I think he snapped or bit at, like, nine of them. You know, and right. it was the type of thing, like, they, they were all young enough and little and, like, squealy and that, that it made sense. I mean, I came in and once poking him in the face, and, you know, two seconds later, chomp. It wasn't even enough time. But it was, you know, that thing about, like, oh, no, it's the family dog. They'll be safe. Don't worry about that. And you, it can happen in a split second. So it's it, it's scary. It needs to people don't need can't be as flip about having like their toddler and their dog alone together because something can happen quite quickly. Yeah, really instantly. And I think you, know, you make a real good point that we you know have this image that the biting dog is that neighborhood roving dog that nobody's attached to and you know kind of out of uh, a la Atticus Finch, you know that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the reality is most bites to kids are from the family dog or a relative's dog or a friend's dog. They're visiting, they're, the dog is over or the kids are over. And every dog on this planet can and will bite if the situation pushes them to that point. Mm-hmm. Some dogs get pushed there more quickly, but our job is to prevent them from going there. And so, like, reasons that dogs bite, I mean, besides having, like, being done and needing, like, a quick Calgon escape into a tub and getting away from everyone, I mean, what are the other reasons that dogs will become aggressive or will bite? I mean, the top two reasons are are pain and fear, and I think fear kind of outweighs the pain because it just happens more often. Yeah. And we, you know, we forget how stoic dogs are, and, you know, in in the world of dog training, there's two categories of dogs in terms of their kind of um, expression of mm-hmm. stress. You've got your negative stressors and your positive stressors. One sounds really good, right? Positive stressors. Those yeah. are the dogs that are going bark, 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 bark. They're warning. They're big. Everything's up. The hair is up. They're on their tippy toes. It's like, okay, clearly that dog's having a problem. Yeah. The negative stressors are the dogs who just try to get really small. They try mm. to get, they're just quiet. They're just sitting there. Their eyes are really wide. They kind of look like me in my wedding photos, you know, just <laughs> wide eyes going, oh, my God. And those are the dogs who are negative stressors, and they will sort of just want it to stop. Mm-hmm. And we will frequently have people who will view this and say, oh, look, the dog was fine, and then all of a sudden bit so-and-so. Oh, my God, I've heard this a hundred times, yeah. Right, and it's not the dog was fine. The dog was lip-licking, and they were their mm. blink rate was up, or there was no blink rate at all. Mm-hmm. And their whole body was stiff, and they were all folded in on themselves, and they were giving every doggy signal that said, please leave me alone. Yeah. But if you don't read dog, it's easy to miss that. So I think that we... We, there's a, a category of dog, we can see the fear in them really easily. And there's another category where we don't see it as easily. And so it's tougher for people to put their finger on that and say, oh, look, that, that dog was probably afraid. And is this something that can like be blanket statemented? Like, for example, like dogs with beagle in them tend to show more emotion, but like some ways just sit there. Like, can you tell it all or it's just individual case by case? And again, it's individual, yeah. case by case. You know, um, it, I have worked now 17 plus years with dogs and 10 of them with uh, rescue dogs in shelters. So mm-hmm. I've seen so many dogs at this point. I lose count. But the, the differences that you will get from one dog to the next, even within the same breed category, mm. 
are as vast as you would get between people who grew up in the same town. Wow. Yeah. So it, it really always comes back to understanding basic dog language and then being willing to step back and watch for a minute and say, okay, what's this dog telling me? Totally. I like the way you put that. Um, We need to take a quick break for station identification. I am talking to Lisa J. Edwards all about her book, Please Don't Bite the Baby and Please Don't Chase the Dog. We'll be back in about a minute and a half. Hello out there, it's Steve Jenkins, I'm with Fairway Markets, White Leghorn, Red Wattle, Bourbon Red, Navajo Churro, well these aren't names you're likely to hear at a Fairway Butcher counter or any other counter today, but before the rise of factory farming you would have, and at Heritage Foods USA you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's Heritage Turkey, Japanese Steaks, Berkshire Pork, or Navajo Churro Lamb Chops is the righteous kind from healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more information. And we are back. I am talking to Lisa J. Edwards all about her book called Please Don't Bite the Baby and Please Don't Chase the Dog. Um, I got to tell you, this book reads really, really well. It's a good story and a how-to as well, which I really appreciated. I was wondering when I first was looking at it if it was going to just be like a straight manual. But I love how you've added stories to it and really added your personality into it to make it just read that much more smoothly and flow really beautifully. You did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. The, my, you know, it is kind of quirky in that way. It's not just a memoir and it's not just a how-to, but I, I found over the years in teaching classes that if I can give people a why mm-hmm. we're doing this exercise or why we want to teach the dog X, Y, and Z, it resonates. And people go, oh, yeah, I, get, I could do that now. And so by kind of telling my story, they went, oh, see, she used that there. That makes sense. I could do that. And so what prompted you to write the book? Uh, I was bringing home a newborn. I had three very complicated dogs at the time, mm. um, and I was, at, you know, was the question was posed. Well, how will the dogs accept the newborn? And mm. I thought to myself, well, I don't know, but that's not really the question. The question is, what will I do to help them all be best of friends and safe around one another? 
And that's when I thought, this is really the, the approach everybody should take, because I hear too often people say, oh, my dog will be good, or, oh, that dog will never be good. And I have, you know, one of my favorite clients, I've known this dog for 13 years, and her dog is much like my dog, Pinball, not the mm-hmm. best with everybody. And she had the same problem when she was bringing home her son, who's about a month uh, older, I think, than my son. And, you know, her family's like, you can't keep that dog. That dog is not safe, blah, blah, blah. And mm. she was determined because she had heard me say for so long, here's what you do around strangers. Here's how you keep people safe from your dog. Here's how you keep your dog safe from people your dog's afraid of. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that drives me nuts, too. It's like your dog or your cat is not your surrogate until you have offspring. I mean, if you're going to get an animal, you're keeping it for life. That's part of the deal here. You know, not like, well, I have a kid now and, you know, we don't need uh, spot any longer. It's not fair to the animal. And especially right. when they it's were there. It's very first. hard. Yeah, yeah, it's cruel, you know. And very so, difficult. Yeah. How long did it take you to write the book? It was uh, probably close to a, a year with all revisions and edits and things like that before it was sort of ready for prime time. Cool, cool. And then, actually, this is funny. I had a couple people when I was talking to some people about this interview. Everybody asked me this question, and I know we kind of covered it, but I'm going for it again because I think it's super important. Many people believe that the dog is always wrong, always wrong if they bite. Do you agree with that? Uh, see, that's the thing. It, it's kind of like... Does the dog have options? And, yeah, many dogs do have options, and they choose a poor option. Mm -hmm. That said, if we have not exposed the dog to the circumstances and situation and we don't know how they're going to perform in this environment and around these particular stressors, we really can't blame the dog. And I think, you know, in Pinball's case, one of the bites was um, in a situation where I had gone over the details with, the, you know, the people involved, and they still did what I told them exactly not to do. Mm. And I, at that point, I really had a hard time blaming the dog. Yes, yeah. he could have chose differently. He yeah. could have made a different choice in that situation but i needed them to make that choice differently as well so it's it it never comes down to one and only one party to point the finger at Mm -hmm. we all have to and that includes us yeah we are the keepers of these animals we brought them into our homes we know none of us can say that our dog came knocking on the door and said hey lady i've been doing some research and you seem like a good house i would like to live here (laughs) we brought them into our home we owe them this kind of oversight you're you're absolutely right and i think that that's an enormously important point because it's like i mean it's very interesting. I live in a neighborhood, and there are some extraordinarily large, aggressive dogs that are normally only walked at about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because the owners can't control them. So right, instead right. of getting training for these dogs, they just, I don't even know how they deal with it. I mean, they're enormous, enormous animals. And I was watching this kid who was, like, in really good shape, kind of like, you know, a gym rat football player, probably about 22, literally dragged down the street with this dog. I mean, like, no control whatsoever in broad day. Daylight. This dog is lunging at kids. He's lunging at dogs. He's lunging at cars. And it's like, you know, how are you okay with this? How have you not contacted a trainer? How have you not done? How is this? You think this is how your dog is? 
and you've allowed him to become that way. And this, he's not happy. You know, you've created this horrible situation where no one's happy and it's just become a chore. And on top of it, he's dangerous. So, you know, right. the training is so, so crucial. And I find a lot of people, eh, I grew up with dogs. I don't need to train them. I'm a natural dog trainer. Right. It gets a little like, okay, that's great, you right. know. And, you know, my response to that is, you know what, I grew up with this brain, but it doesn't make me a neurologist. So sometimes we have to seek outside help, even if we know something really, really well. That's a really good line. That's a really, really, I like that a lot. That's a really, really good line. That's amazing. You know, and it's funny, too, because, like, when I, I used to work with horses, and there were a lot of really old-school trainers there that, you know, like, cabbage leaves cure diseases and things, and there was one guy there who, we talk about this all the time, he was absolutely convinced that the way to check and see if a dog would be good around children is if you grabbed their feet and the dog didn't flinch. And it's an old wives' tale, and I'll tell you what, there is a little bit of truth to that story because I touched, if I touched my Jack's feet, he'd freak out, and he's the one that bit all my nieces and nephews. So, I mean, I think there is a little bit of a correlation there. But are there things like this that you hear that you need to, to explain to people and, like, that not, that's not necessarily true or something like that? So, well, here's the interesting thing about that is um, there, there's going to be a kernel of truth to it because – you're talking about body handling. Mm -hmm. Dogs who are not great with body handling, i.e. the dogs who you reach for their feet and they go, oh, no, you don't, yeah. are not going to be great with a lot of kids because kids are very tactile with dogs. They want their hands all over the animal. So there is a correlation. It is not a one-to-one -one correlation because you can't go the opposite way and say, oh, dogs whose feet you can grab are going to be fine. I can clip pinball's nails, no problem. Yeah. However, if anyone else tries it, you know, have the bandages ready. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, again, we have to look at the individual dog in each individual situation. And this is the thing that I really struggle to get across to people is that a dog who's good at home will not necessarily be good at Aunt Millie's. A dog who's good with you will not necessarily be good with you and your kids. And it can go from room to room in the mm -hmm. house. You know, when I had the three dogs upstairs in the master bedroom, I knew we would never have an altercation because that was the calm place. Yeah, yeah. But if we went downstairs and somebody brought a resource into the mix, I had to, you know, do some separation pretty quick. Mm -hmm. So you can have changes that go from one floor of the house to the other. Dogs don't generalize well in each new situation provi provides you with a whole new dog. Okay, so let's say, for example... Spot is in the living room one day, and little Johnny, who's a toddler, yeah, Spot's passed out cold. He's sleeping his socks off, snoring away. Here comes Johnny, whipping around the corner at high speed, steps on the dog's tail. Dog wakes up, totally scared, bites the kid. Will that room harvest bad memories for the dog because the situation happened there, if there's, like, repercussions, et cetera, et cetera? So, so here's the thing. Dogs are that black box. We can't say, so, Spot, what's going on? Do we have a little trauma associated with this room? Yeah. Maybe Spot would say yes, maybe not. But what we know is that there are behavior patterns. All of us develop behavior patterns. Mm. You know, we, we do this as we're walking down the city street. We remember when something occurred on that block, you know, four months ago, and we see a trigger that reminds us. So... The, the cautious approach to that scenario would be to say, you know what, we are going to be very mindful of Spot and Johnny in that room because mm -hmm. Spot is probably going to remember, huh, 
this is the room where the kid nailed my tail. Yeah. So we are going to be more cautious. We we can't say for certain what's going on in Spot's head. We never can. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, was, I was talking to a client today, and she happened to be a nurse, so I could use a lot of medical analogies with her. And I said, you know, dog training is kind of like medicine before x-rays or before cat scans yeah, no or kidding, you know huh? we just kind of have to work with the black box and do our best with our external observations it makes sense to me and i i mean i really really respect what you're saying that every dog is different and that you know it's it's not this holistic case of oh if you get the you know crunchy breed they'll never bite a kid i mean i think that's really important because there's so many so many stereotypes of breeds, especially nowadays, of like, oh, this dog will eat your face. But no, this dog is perfect, you know, and it's, you're right. There is no, that's not, you know, if you want that, if you want to guarantee you're never going to get bit or injured or that, then get a stuffed animal because, you know, they Correct. have minds yep. and they think. Yeah. So, and yeah. so is it like, can a dog, can a dog think if A, then B? Can they reason that way or is it just all black and white for them at all times? They they have to reason that way. That's the only way they survive. If you think about hunting, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, they had to figure out where is their food. I mean, if you go back anthropologically, the you know current thinking is that you know we dogs came up to humans kind of because we had a bunch of garbage and they kind of went, this is a very good garbage pile. We are hanging out here. Yeah. So, yeah, they said, you know what, them two-legged hairless primates, it's worth following them around. Any dog, especially social animal, has to be able to make those, you know, if then, you know, if X, then Y. That's a good point. Sort of processing. Otherwise, they couldn't hunt. They couldn't have social interactions. They just couldn't do it, and we couldn't train them. That's good we'd say sit, and they go, you could say sit a thousand times, human, but I can't make that connection. But they can. And so when it comes to this kind of a situation, I mean, you're saying that uh, most, that the most of the bites are out of fear and out of pain. If we're able, how difficult is it to teach people, I guess, the body cues that dogs have when they're doing this sort of thing? Like, are the cues pretty standard in the canine world? There are some fairly, um, I call them sort of the dog language primer. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, Turd Rugas wrote a book probably a little over 20 years ago now, and at the time, you know, people were like, dog language, whoa, that's just crazy thoughts. And now, it's just standard. Um, And these are pretty much your basic signals Mm -hmm. and they are more like social affiliation signals we call them calming signals but that's just you know it's unfortunate because it doesn't exactly describe them well Mm. so it's like if you and i got to a door at the same time we would both kind of gesture to the other person like oh you go ahead no no you go ahead and it's not because you and i are trying to calm each other down or keep a, a fight from you know yeah. ensuing. Although depending on the day and the city, exactly. that may you be never part know. of it. But, <laughs> but the reality is, we have very ingrained social behaviors that we offer in order to keep the society going. Yeah. And as social animals, so do dogs. And so a look away is a big, big one. Blink rate, um, head down for sniffing all of a sudden. Um, but the whole body turn is another one. Um, so I said, let's see, head turn, blink rate, 
lip lick, paw up, a sit for no good reason, really sniffing for no good reason. All of these things that just kind of come out of nowhere can be a dog kind of trying to negotiate the situation. You know, so if I come up to a dog and I get a head turn with a lip lick and increased blink rate, I'm going to say, okay, what's going on here? Why is this dog concerned right now? Mm-hmm. Am I approaching too quickly? Does the dog not know me? I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop right there at those tiny little signals. I'm going to crouch. I'm going to turn sideways. And I'm going to say, and I'll probably be, depending on the dog, three to four feet away. And I'm going to say, so talk to me. Tell me what you need. And mm-hmm. if I do crouching and I toss a few treats and the dog still says, lady, you were just too creepy for me right now, I'm going to say, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So if everyone can start to understand the kind of 